I'm Justin Peterson. And I'm Brian Lee. Welcome to the Voice Culture Podcast, where we traverse the rich historical legacy of voice training from the greatest minds and teachers of the art. Each episode features lively conversation, fascinating historical insights, and practical application for today's singer. Hi, Justin. Hey, how's it going? Good, how are you? Good. It's been a hot minute. Yes, it has. Yes, but we're it back. Has. We're back in the saddle. Yeah, we are. We are podcasting about. We are yes. pushing the boat down the river. Excellent. How are you? I'm. I'm well. Um, right now, it's mid February, mm. um, and uh, looking forward to the end of February when things start to green up. up around here. Yes, thank you. Ready yeah. for it? Yeah. Spring returns. That's mm-hmm. a theme in music. Big theme. It's a good thing. Frühlingsglaube. Yeah. Um, le printemps. Yes. <laughs> um, last time I saw you were in the Florida. You were having a grand old time in the Florida. Right. Yeah. That was. I spent the second half of January there, and it was very relaxing, which is just what I needed. It was a lot mm. of nothing. What was your favorite part? Was there a favorite or no? Was it just well, the time off? The time off was great. Uh, long walks on the beach were incredible. Mm. And uh, a terrific ice cream shop across the street was also very nice. Ooh, yum. So just like regular ice cream or like gelato kind of stuff? Uh, it was regular ice cream. Mm. Uh, they had a way of making a chocolate chip shake uh, where they made the chocolate chips on the spot. It was just fascinating. It was so oh, good. Wow. Um, that was, uh, But I had ice cream every day there. 14 days of ice cream. Oh, my gosh. When I, <laughs> oh, when I was in Sarasota, we used to have this place called, well, it's not still, I think it's still there, in St. Armand Circle uh, called Kilwins. Oh, okay. And they would make these chocolates that were just out of this world. Kilwins, we'll do a sponsorship. Hit us up. There you go. Hey, yeah. Kilwins, sponsored, Justin and Brian, sponsored by Kilwins. Marketing yeah, they're so opportunity. good. opportunity. There you they're go. So, they're so good. Nothing, yeah, nothing gets you going right before a singer, uh, before a singing opportunity, like a big old slab of chocolate. Oh, yeah. Chocolate and dairy. Throat. Hello. Yeah, just go for it. Yeah, just, just uh, slick down that throat. Oh, my gosh. And close yes. it. But, yes, you know. exactly. That reminds me. Ever, <laughs> I sent you that um, video of, uh, was it French and Saunders, and they do that opera thing. Oh, where, it's so good. I, I, oh, it's so funny. And I think it's uh, Dawn French, and she's at the microphone, and she says, darling, could you go back and get me some profiteroles and some ice cream? And then she, she feels, she sees that she's gotten caught by the camera and then she goes oh for my throat for, it's for the voice darling for the voice <laughs> i am like this is hilarious. so every time i well, my ex would i we would laugh uh, we'd eat ice cream and i'd say it's for my voice it's for my voice <laughs> exactly it's for my voice it's for the it's for the, it's for the gift it's for the gift yeah I'll look it up on youtube french and saunders oh my god oh my it's god. so funny french recording and saunders session opera, opera. So yeah funny god it's hysterical lucky 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 oh god well also what is sarah walker who's one of my favorite uh mezzo-soprano contraltos Gorgeous, beautiful voice, beautiful voice. She's got some wonderful recordings of French uh, um, chansons and beautiful English songs that she's recorded. I mean, just gorgeous voice. Oh, nice. I'll have to check her out. Check her out. She's gorgeous. Definitely one of my top fave, definitely one of my top fave singers. Yeah, Sarah Walker. Beautiful, beautiful voice. Uh, Well, shall we launch into a topic? What's, What's on the top of your mind today? Well... One subject I thought would be interesting to 
talk about is how to screw up a vocalese. Because <laughs> there are so many ways to misinterpret how to do a thing. Mm. And so I thought that'd be fun to explore. You mean the salvation isn't in the exercise itself? You know, I think so often when people poo-poo an exercise or they love an exercise, it isn't the exercise itself, mm-hmm. you know, but it's how it's done and 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 uh, what it means for the people who are doing it because, boy, um, yeah. Well, let's just go right in. Yeah, tell me. I'm excited about this. Yeah, yeah. So um, I'll give an example from my past that was that's kind of – silly and uh and basic and embarrassing so um i laid off singing for a long time when i came back uh and started taking lessons again and wanting to try to get a grip vocally um i had a teacher who was really really fond of the lip trill which mm-hmm. many people are it's a mm-hmm. it's a great warm-up for so many people mm. um but i had a little bit of trouble with it i mean i could kind of do it but i found it kind of difficult and labored and um i've one clue that i had that i had problems with it was that i could sing regular open notes over a greater range than i could do a decent lip trill and everyone i worked with all the students i worked with when we tried lip trills they could always lip trill much higher than they could sing normally and since it's a semi-occluded exercise you would expect that you would expect you could do range extension with a really easy semi-occluded exercise Mm. uh you know and 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 find some some higher pitches that way easier first that's how it's supposed to work Mm -hmm. well I, i found out years later that i had actually been putting an awful lot more pressure behind it but my Mm. teachers couldn't hear that that's how i was doing it when i realized how light and free it could really be i was like oh crap you've been doing it wrong i've been doing it wrong the whole time but i had enough like whatever i had enough spare range or ingenuity or whatever that i could you know get through it and on to the next exercise but so I'm curious, was the was the difficulty, because I know you played the flute, was the difficulty the embouchure? Because I know sometimes yes. people who play uh, woodwinds or any kind of wind instrument have a lot of, have a tighter embouchure. Absolutely. And it yeah. makes it a whole heck of a lot harder to get those lips to do that. When and, and I found anything involving my lips uh, made me reflexively go to the decades of playing woodwind instruments. Because mm. uh, there's, there's a set, you have a certain set embouchure. And then tiny variations inside of that. Now, on the flute mm. embouchure, it's the softest of all the woodwind embouchures. But um, the jaw, for example, you may play a whole sonata and not ever move your jaw at all. Mm. And so you, you get used to like a position yes. and uh, um, you may have supple lips, <laughs> but a, a, a jaw that's tight as hell and then the other thing is there's there's a a, i found when i've worked with uh wind players especially brass people um sometimes there's quite a bit of muscularity in the cheeks and face where it's difficult to let it go and let it flap to the same degree Mm. as someone who's never had to tighten their face in order to produce sound i also have had those students who play wind instruments who have to to re-regulate how they conceptualize air Oh, yeah, yeah. Right, because it's so built on that sort of driving of air, and mm-hmm. singing is not so much that, we hope. 
Yes. Yes. So actually, so another kind of exercise that I've done is I've had teachers who, who will, because of how they've worked with other students, will talk about like airflow, like they'll do an airflow exercise Mm -hmm. and they'll, um, they'll get you to, to, you know, more air is better. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, some kind of, I don't know, but if, when I realize nice things to think about what I say, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I mean, don't translate to reality, but it's lovely to think that, but maybe that won't work, man. Know. If you ever pick up, like if you really learn how to play a clarinet or, or, uh, an oboe or, you know, the upper woodwinds, um, flute a little less so, but, but all of them require a lot more air pressure. You simply mm. blow harder to make the sound yeah. because the instrument provides a lot of resistance. Ah. And if you if you try if you bring those same blowing concepts to singing, then your poor little folds yeah. have to work triple overtime yeah, to yeah. hold back the air to make things happen. It's and, like Goldilocks; it's like too much. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so anyway, even lip bubbles, I was uh, very adept at screwing up. Um, can, do you have any exercises that have gone awry in some way, or you've seen them go awry? Uh, yes. Um, you're gonna okay. This is where the everyone get your tomatoes ready at the ready. <laughs> here, here they come. Uh, straw phonation. I'm sorry to say. Oh know, yeah. Um, that can be done twelve ways to Sunday in the wrong way, and people sort of people people think that the straw exercise is like vocal Jesus, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, like it's gonna you know you're the lame will walk, the blind will see, and I'm just like. <laughs> Uh, no, not always. It depends on the person and depends on how the exercise is executed. And it, it's not just like, oh, we'll stick it in and do it. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, so I've, that, I've seen people have these Talmudic discussions about uh, uh, how long a straw, what diameter of straw, right. what right. is a straw made of? Do you put the straw right. in water? If you put it in water, how deep? Right. You, I mean, on and on and on. And um, yeah, I don't I th- actually do any straw in my studio at all because... Like I, at all? No. Oh, interesting. I, I do it. I do it, but I I try to really watch it like a hawk when I have mm-hmm. when I do it because I'm really trying to pay attention to what's going on. I think it can be a really informative kinesthetic experience mm-hmm. to watch someone you know to have that experience, and I think mm-hmm. I, and I do it myself you know from time to time when I'm feeling a little wa- you know tired or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't. It's not like you. It's not. I don't think of it as the everyone that comes in here is going to do this kind of exercise. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? I, I guess I just, it depends. It's sort of like I like to think of myself as a gym. I'm fully stocked, but I may not make you do everything in the gym. Exactly. That's kind of where I am. I just, I, I'm not saying that I think straw phonation is bad because I know it, it is very helpful for some people, but I don't feel like I've sufficiently got the, the right mastery of it or the right mm-hmm. attitude about it mm-hmm. to do it justice. So mm-hmm. I, I, I haven't tended to use I find that. it very valuable for pushers. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's that been my experience. Mm-hmm. For a singer who <clears throat> tends to push a little bit, uh, it's really great. Or a singer who is, let's say, learning and needs to and needs to sort of stretch the range out a little bit and hasn't maybe gone up there a lot, it gives mm-hmm. them that, that positive back pressure that, that will give them a safer way of getting up there, perhaps, mm-hmm. because of that because of that back pressure. So I will use it in that regard with you know slides or glides or things like that. So yeah, it can be helpful. Again, I just 
I oh, I try not to be dogmatic with stuff. I try not to say, well, this is the one and only true one exercise. Right. You know, which is counter to what? I mean, a lot of technical, pedagogical ways of thinking where, you know, you give somebody 10 exercises and you say, okay, here you go, bye, have fun, learn these exercises, you'll be the best singer in the world, which is obviously, um, comes out of history too, right? With, I think it was Pacchiarotti who studied with Porpora and right, and he wrote all the exercises down on a piece of paper and was like, okay, do all these, pa- you know, do all these exercises on this single page of paper. And mm-hmm. you'll be the greatest thing in the world, and that's what happened. So, you know, is that true? We don't It's sort of apocryphal. We don't know. But um, Right. But, no, I just don't think that that's – it's not true for the but the bodies in the gym. Why would it be true for your voice? So, yeah. yeah. But, yeah, I think that's one of the exercises I see people screw up a lot. Uh, and then they're like, well, why am I so tight inside? And I'm like, because of how you're doing that exercise. Yeah. Because of how you're executing that exercise. Um, <clears throat> I don't know that I have other exercises that I kind of – I mean, I move around a lot, I think, with stuff. I, I, I will go one direction and they say, okay, well, maybe that'll work for you. And mm-hmm. sometimes I, you know, so I, but I don't try to be super rigid about it. Yeah. I, there's another one I can think of that um, <laughs> I was doing opera chorus. Uh, this is 12 years ago, or probably. Uh, I remember it was uh, Strauss's Gypsy Baron. And oh. um, there was a guy, uh, another tenor in the course and we were warming up before the show and he was making these sounds mm. um so i'm going to see if i can do this and if it'll come across the mic without overdoing it so i'm gonna back off from the mic but okay. it was like mm. oh, 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 oh. and i said <laughs> oh that's a different kind of sound what's that yes. about and he said yeah. Well, that's Cornelius Reed, pure falsetto. <laughs> he said that's it's 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 pure falsetto with like no attempt at adduction or anything, just just an airflow falsetto. And so he, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. At the time, I was studying with a Cornelius Reed devotee, and that was nothing like how we did falsetto. <laughs> oh no, you've opened up can of worms, can of worms there because now, do you know where this singer hailed from? Uh, was this a singer from New York City, or was this a singer? No, from he was somewhere? a DC singer. Okay, uh, uh, an older fellow. He was okay. in his sixties, and he was. Um, this was this was not a an A house. Okay, <laughs> where you were in DC? Yeah, yeah. Do you know where he went to school? Did, I mean, I'm I'm prying like you're going to remember this. Um, do... uh, he he. Uh, I don't think he had a music degree. He studied with one of our major teachers here. Someone you have met and know of but i'm not gonna okay uh, yeah yeah. um (laughs) no no legal cases here right right so but it was it was really interesting like like um you know so so i thought okay what in in when i studied uh with david christopher what what were we did many varieties of falsetto Mm -hmm. and i'm thinking which one of those is the one that went awry and i think it's the one david used to call the hootie blousey falsetto. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, there was a sort of a cooing one, like, ooh, 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 that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. But then there's the one where you let you take in air and you make a short blast on a who, mm-hmm. and as you go higher, oh, the yes. blast gets shorter and shorter. Who, 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 who. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think that's probably the one he was after. 
but there was like false folds getting engaged and all kinds yeah, of stuff yeah. happening when he did that. Actually, that's not the first time I've heard someone do that exercise. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I um, I grew up in Kansas City, and uh, I would I have uh, I don't have direct ex- excuse me I don't have direct experience with that uh, exercise, but I do have direct uh, experience with singers who did that exercise, and I think the logic was to, in in what I can remember. Is, was to stabilize the larynx. Yeah, yeah. But the idea of doing that kind of oh, was an attempt to keep the laryngeal position lower. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was the logic behind it. Yes. Uh, the the focused uh, falsetto or a brighter falsetto brings the larynx up like crazy. Right. You right. know. <laughs> That, that's, oh my God, Broadway, Brian! Yeah, get ready. yeah. Oh, I, you know, my my fingertips were actually beginning to form little jazz hands <laughs> as I did that. But uh, yeah, dead. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. No, I um, but yeah, the the screwing up of an exercise. I think. I, oh boy. Well, this is the, this is the danger. I think that when people sort of they what I call sanctification of an exercise, mm-hmm. where I once went to a master class of someone we both know uh, who was teaching and made all of the students execute this one particular exercise as part of the day, and it, the the exercise performance from each singer was so uneven mm-hmm. that I just kind of wondered what's the Point of this, like, does this sort of put it through the paces and make everybody do it the same? Mm-hmm. It was kind of like he wasn't, and then he wouldn't correct sort of what was clearly sort of a, a struggle, a mechanical struggle. Yeah, in the sound, Why, you know, do something different, do something yes. different, you know, because yes. I'm so big on keeping the voice, you know, ha- having a continuous sensation of ease. Mm-hmm. That anything that pushes the voice to a place of real like dysfunction or, or um, yeah. discomfort is not something that I want the, vo- the neuromuscular system to say, oh, that's right. Um, right. Another thing, too, is like I, I think maybe I've talked about this. I've talked about this, you know, in different in different places. But um, a teacher who would have, let's say, a set arsenal of exercises and would put all of the singers through the same paces. Mm-hmm. And it didn't matter, you know, what didn't matter you just needed to execute this exercise sequence in the way that it was being done yeah and then we'd get in you get into um song repertoire um i i saw that immediately as a doctor would see it and say well why would a doctor give the same medication to every single person that walked into his office he wouldn't Mm -hmm. he would cater his work to the to the patient and i thought well it wasn't you know that kind of work to me is not very student-centered teaching yeah Right. Right. Because it wasn't even like, oh, well, there were, these were concept, the conceptual ideas that changed from person to person. You know, where you could say, okay, let's work on semi-occlusion, but we're going to do it in different ways with people throughout the day. Mm-hmm. You know, what's really cool, I think, I hope for myself when I teach, is that if, if people came and watched me teach, th- no two lessons would be the same. Yeah. Right? Like, the, the, even the, on the same day, like, it would be different. And I would say, okay, I did that in the last one. Let's try this and see if this works for you. So... The, the the other thing about those, I think what that does is the the um, what is it the rigidification of exercises like that. I think it gives the teacher like a mental break, <laughs> right? They're able to kind of turn their ears off for a second and just go ahead and like roll through these exercises, and and then okay, now let's get to the fun stuff, which is the singing, right? The actual music. But I'm like, well, the, the, that's the student needs help. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? If you have a voice in distress, telling it to, oh, just support more or whatever in the exercise isn't going to cut it. Um, so, yeah, that sort of slavish, uh, what, uh, bending the knee to uh, the exercises all the time. It's like, well, you know, maybe not. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, and, you know, the the fact that vocal instruction is done one-on-one, there's just no excuse for not customizing it extensively right. per student. I totally agree. You know? I mean, again, I always come back to the analogy of the gym. The, the 70-year-old woman isn't going to get the same exercise program as the 26-year-old man. Right. I, I don't understand why that is. I mean, we may have the same idea. In other words, we may do squats. Right mm-hmm. between mm-hmm. each person, but we're going to do squats in a very different way between those two people, yeah. And how we do them, right? The woman who's in her seventies might require more, maybe more resistance bands to do it to support her body as she goes down, and so that you know she doesn't hurt herself, mm-hmm. you know, or any you know, any of those things. Or maybe the dips are going to be assisted, or maybe the pull-ups are going to be assisted. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're both doing pull-ups, but we're going to be varying them differently. So it's that idea of varying it for each individual person. That's yeah. That's um, that is to me that is student centered pedagogy. Yeah, you're you're centered on the student. Yeah. When I was first thinking about this topic, I was thinking about all the ways my students will um, interpret an exercise. So, so mm. sometimes, if you ask a student to, you know, say back to you, mm-hmm. "Why do we do this exercise?" or "What do you think that exercise does?" Or, you know, and then you get sometimes some really surprising answers, um, good and bad. I mean, mm-hmm. sometimes there's a sometimes it'll do something good for them that that, you know, the, uh, the, it'll help them uh, acquire a kinesthetic sense or or help them get from A to B mentally in a mm. way that you hadn't even thought of. But yeah. um, it, it goes south a lot too, you know, where where they they don't have a clue what an exercise is for. <laughs> right, right. And uh, usually I think it's good if they know. Now, there, there's sometimes, though, when um, the element of surprise is good. You know, you, yeah. you guide a student through something and just let them respond. Mm-hmm. And they don't necessarily have to know the whys and wherefores up front. Uh, but eventually. Well, sometimes if they do, it's block, it can block them terribly. Yes. Yes. It's sort of like acting. It's like if you know, uh, go for it. You know what I mean? It's like if you try yeah. to analyze things too much and get too yeah. intellectual, you, you stifle uh, what is really a, a, what, a, a reflex, which mm-hmm. is what we're really mm-hmm. trying to get to, a better reflex. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Well, another aspect that, I was, that just popped into my head a little bit ago was um, students will screw up an exercise, but how do teachers screw up an exercise? Mm. I mean, both... There are reasons for prescribing an exercise, the mm-hmm. way they explain an exercise, the way they demonstrate. We, mm-hmm. we could actually have a whole podcast episode, I think, about issues of demonstration. Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> one of my pet peeves is when a teacher talks through a vocalese, you know, like they're, they're giving running commentary, running criticism through the vocalese or even cheerleading. <laughs> Uh, mm, that, you know, think that it, it's, you know, nominally positive to cheer someone through an exercise, but mm. it can bring in weirdness, I think, mm. where, where the student is both, you know, absorbing commentary while they're trying to sing. Mm-hmm. I just think it's messy. 
Uh, no, I don't talk. I try not to talk, although I've done that before. But oh, maybe with, maybe with I've a singer. It. <laughs> well, I've done well. Maybe with a singer who um who who knows how to do it already, and then I might be just re-explaining like why that's good for them or whatever. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, I, I I try to get I try to get them to have a, to make a particular sound, a freer sound, let's say, and then sort of add that to their experience. Encyclopedia, encyclopedia where they can go, oh, oh, okay, and they may not even have words for how to describe it. But that's yeah, okay no. too. Yeah, that's know? sure, sure. And I feel like I might be guilty of the of the of both of those a little bit. Although I try not to be, I try not to. Let me be clear. Much. I'm I'm guilty of virtually everything I'm talking <laughs> about. <laughs> okay, <laughs> these, it, these, Brian, these are my issues. Take, I'm you need to take here. the two by four out of your eye before you start trying to take the splinter out of my eye. Okay. No, totally. I mean, you know, that's the. Uh, um, you know, it's like when I went to college and I realized all the psych majors were trying to work out their issues. That's why they mm. were psych majors. Oh. You know, but yeah. yeah, I teachers um, screwing up exercises. Um, sometimes, if I feel like you let the exercise do its job, and then the exercise either worked or it didn't. And I think that's why I come back to this idea we've talked about and I talk about a lot, with this, um, which is observation, which is the real science of voice teaching, right? Mm-hmm, which is mm-hmm. observation and noticing. And if an exercise doesn't work, I'm a big stickler on this. And I learned this from, well, I learned this from Seth Riggs. If an exercise doesn't work after three times, stop doing it. Uh-huh. Because you're basically teaching the body to struggle with something and learn the wrong way of doing it. Yeah. So I re- I took that to heart, and I never do a rec- an exercise more than three times uh, if it fails because mm-hmm. because the body isn't either coordinated enough to do it or is rebelling and saying no, mm-hmm. I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. It doesn't want to move that way. So yeah. why would I keep pushing the voice to move that way? It doesn't want to. So go someplace else. You know, do something different. Yeah. Um. So, but see, now if I was being slavish to a vocal exercise, I wouldn't think that way. Right. I'd say, no, it doesn't matter. Your voice has to do this. You must do this. Yeah. Right? That's a way to screw up a vocal exercise. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You're demanding that the voice do it. And the student's like, oh, oh, it really hurts me. And there's this trickle of blood that comes out of my mouth when I do it. <laughs> like, um, doesn't matter. You must. Well, this is the lie that I hate. And ooh, I'm going to get into trouble. Oh, Brian, this is going to be the end of me. Where people are like, well, you know, it's going to hurt before it feels better. Mm. I've, I've, I have, I've heard that by students who've come to me from other teachers and said, uh, well, you know, the teacher worked with me and they said, yeah. you know, it's really going to hurt me for a while or it really is going to like, I'm going to be hoarse. I'm going to be hoarse for a while and then I'm not going to be hoarse anymore. Right. That's when I literally turn into the Incredible Hulk and like, I want to start throwing things around the apartment because I'm just like, what is this madness? Yeah. 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 I, I've run into that very rarely, but I can think of... Uh, couple prime examples of that that were really f- infuriating well be- i mean to me it's just um I- again as a person who's read history i never saw that anywhere in, in any of the older texts on singing mm-hmm. right. i never read anything anywhere where the great great teachers of singing said um pain is like part of the process so yeah. like if you're not in pain and hoarse and like you know dysphonic at the end of your lesson you're not really doing it right like, yeah they were always like follow nature obey nature be gentle be easy mm-hmm. i mean my god sir henry wood right who invented the the proms the bbc proms in in the uk mm-hmm. had a book two several series uh several tomes or volumes it was called the gentle art of singing yeah 
So this idea that you're just, and I'm not saying namby-pamby here. I'm not saying namby-pamby singing. Right. But I'm just saying the this sort of like, go full tilt. You must, you know, oh, God. Oh, God. You know, that's um, abuse. Yeah. That's abuse. Sorry to say. Yep. You know, when someone's hurting or someone's in pain. That would be, that'd fall into the, the broad range of uh, uh, insisting on an exercise, you know, uh, taking an doing an exercise longer than it should be done. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes the length it should be done is zero, yes. but sometimes you'll try something new. I'll try something new as a teacher with a student that I think might be a good approach to solving a certain problem. And I go, uh Oh no, that isn't working. And I fess up. I didn't yeah. used to as much, but now I do. I say, you know what? That isn't a good one for you right now. I, I, yeah. needed, I needed to have picked something else. So let's yeah. explore another way uh, to approach this. Because, um, yeah, I totally want to try to model freedom and ease, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. as, as the goals at yes, all yes. times. Right, right. You know, it's also, too, as you say this, it reminds me of, like, the, the difference between a young amateur voice teacher starting at the beginning who maybe mm-hmm. does have a handful of exercises at their disposal yeah. and the advanced teacher who might have hundreds and hundreds of different ways of solving a problem. Mm-hmm. And I think part of our development as teachers is that as we go through this, we become uh, hopefully more nuanced. We are able to vary things a little bit more differently. We can um, get more creative, more imaginative as we go. We sort of always know that those core exercises are sort of like in the in the toolbox, but our ability to vary them and to change them for the students' needs, I think, gets richer and more um, more um, what uh, varied as we get older as teachers. Yeah. We get yeah. more. We get more. We can do more with something that maybe a beginning teacher might be only have two or three ways to do it. It's yeah, like, you know, the older teacher can come on and say, well, you can do it like this, you can do it like this, you can go over here and do it like that, or you can do it like this, you know. But then the poor student teacher would be like, I'm drowning in options. <laughs> yeah. Right? And it's like, I don't know what to do, you know, I don't know what to do. Um, which is why I think that the idea of having good vocal principles is so important, as st- even starting as a young teacher. What's your, yeah. vocal, what's your vocal principles mm-hmm. are as a teacher? What mm-hmm. are your goals? You know, if you are a teacher who values vocal health, you're going to work in a certain way with students. That's right. right. You yeah. Know, um, if, you have a, if you have an allegiance to a, a dead teacher that you had, you might not be uh, so concerned about vocal health, mm-hmm. but mainly the passing on of a tradition that you feel like you've inherited. And I'm not saying that makes it sound evil, but right. it needs to be both. It can be both. Yeah. It can be both. They're yeah. not mutually exclusive, but no. I find you know some people who sort of pass, I mean, sort of slavishly devoted to a teacher can be... Um, they don't see the student in front of them, if that makes sense. It's, to me, it's the same idea of the scientific teacher who wants to prove their, their uh, scientific theory. Yeah. It's just in a different way. You know, prove my theory of resonance by doing, you know, whatever. Yeah. And it's the same thing as like, prove Madame, you know, de Capua's famous vocal technique by going, ringer, 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 you know. Yeah. And then yeah. the student goes, oh, great. You have, you have validated my ex- edu- educational objectives, you know. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't think that, uh, I don't think, well, that's one of the things in pedagogy that we need to talk about more when we train kids. And I say kids because I'm like so young. But, um, you know, the idea of structuring of a vocal exercise. You know, Shannon Coates, I think, does really cool work in this area. Yeah. she. I think she does really cool stuff where she, you know, wants people to talk about and think about why they're doing it and what they're doing and what's the goal of that they're, they're trying to do. 
which I just think is fantastic. And some of the methods that we talked about, which I think that's one of their great values for the young teacher, is showing the teachers how to use exercises, how to do exercises. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, giving, giving voice teachers a way to work stuff out in real time with another teacher there in the room and saying, oh, you know, you did this exercise. Did you, what was your goal there? What was your plan? And, you know, why? It, wouldn't it be cool if we could just do that even as teachers to sit in and say, you know, you're, you know, talk about lesson flow, talk about, you know, language with the student, talk about exercise progression. That's, I mean, that would be a cool project. Yeah. To, somebody can take on <laughs> do. <laughs> we, you know, Brian, we can call it the exercise police. <laughs> you know, police, interesting. Exercise police. We're going to police your exercises. <laughs> you know, yeah. You're in violation of code number three. Uh, you cannot do that exercise until stage five has been attained by the student. Yeah. Like, ay, ay, ay. Yeah. I'll have, have sirens, you know. Yes. Uh, yeah. It'd be great. Yeah. Every studio will be like having Alexa or like one of those Google machines, you know, and it'll just automatically hear the singing and go, report back to headquarters, <laughs> report back to headquarters, yes. you know, very, very minority report kind of thing going on. Yeah. There. Yeah. 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 <laughs> or, yeah. No, but, um, yeah, I, I think for me, what the, what's the takeaway of like screwing up an exercise? The takeaway is, first of all, you have to know what the exercise is. Yeah. What it's doing or mm-hmm. what it's intended to do mm-hmm. and what you expect. Yeah. And then does it do that thing? That's why I think it's the scientific method, right? Yeah. Yeah. You have a hypothesis about something, a guess about mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. I wonder if the voice is going to... Then you have your experiment. You do your experiment, and either the the reaction is what you expected or it's not what you expected. And then yeah. you gather the information and then you re, you know keep going and that the scientific process happens over and over and over and over and over again. You said a key word a little bit ago that I think is important to always hold in mind, which is principles. Yes. You know, does does this exercise support your principles of mm-hmm. the process of vocal discovery and growth? Mm-hmm. And, and if it doesn't, I mean, some exercises just seem to pass time, you know. Um, it's like, uh, why'd you do that? Well, you could even say, like at the beginning of a session, you could have exercises you do that aren't particularly growth oriented, that are simply about beginning to make sound. That's valid. Mm-hmm. But 15, 20 minutes in, you know, you should have a general idea uh, why you're doing something. And mm. and this is where the thing of gaining experience and going for continuing education and all mm-hmm. that stuff mm-hmm. is useful because you can support your principle right. in so many ways, so many kinds of exercises like let's say one of the things you're working on is agility Mm -hmm. able to sing uh riffs or scales um fancy patterns um there are an awful lot of little pieces of that that you can work on as the student is ready and you know what we tend to learn how to do is okay first we're going to do i'm thinking of classical lessons you know five note scales then we do nine note scales then we do the 11 notes with the turnaround and then we mm-hmm. do i mean there's and it's like well what about scales in fourths what about mm. you know uh whole tone scales what about right right what about microtone what about octatonic and and right, right. uh modes? natural minor right natural minor yeah yeah or there's just uh so many minor. yeah environments you can set up for the student to explore agility and um sometimes too 
uh, the student simply needs variety, just like, or the teacher yeah. needs variety. You know, yes. you've you've done something one way generally for a long, 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 long time, and uh, you know, the human mind brain tends to zone out and yes. not be as effective when yes. it's in a rut doing the same routine over or and habit, over. habit, habit, yeah. even. Yeah. Even if it's been useful and effective, right. sometimes it'll lose its benefits uh, when it's repeated too long and, and a, a new way has to be found. Mm-hmm. Um, so these are, these are all that things that... That makes sense that, to me. Yeah, yeah. makes sense to me. It's like switching the furniture around. Yeah. Right? It's yeah. like it freshens up the room. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, oh, it feels like a new space. It's like all I did was move the furniture, you know. Indeed. And move things around, keep things, yeah. I, and I think for us teachers, we have to remember that it's a creative process, and we have to be engaged in the creativity of it, too. Right. I don't want to work in a factory. Mm-hmm. You know, I mm-hmm. don't want to work in a, okay, it's always the same every time. You know, I want, it to, I want to be able to be surprised in voice lessons. Yeah. I want to keep myself able to be surprised as well, so... Um, you know, don't screwing up a vocalese. So many ways to do it. <laughs> <laughs> there, there sure are. And and what I would encourage anyone to do, because this is where I really made more progress, was to not be afraid to reach out and ask for help. Right. You know, um, it's always really heartening to go to a like a summer class for voice teachers, and you happen upon a good one, mm. and it's so exciting to to be there with other teachers who are interested in, in learning new points of view and freshening how they approach things. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, you know, uh, asking for help, asking yeah. for clarification. And I found with my work with students, asking the student, what does that mean for you? How's that mm-hmm. going for you? Checking mm-hmm. in. Mm-hmm. Did, did, is, does it seem to be helping you? What do you think? are the benefits of this and mm-hmm. and uh going from there um rote rote learning of of routine death. i think is death yes That's death. that it's was the word death. <laughs> death it's not math i mean not even that math has to be death but it's not that it's not that that is not yeah it. yeah um yeah that's not it that ain't it kids <laughs> yeah it's it's part of the wonder of our profession is that as it it requires creativity, and, and yes. that uh, um, there's almost always multiple answers for every question. Yes. Yeah. Well, and you know your your concept about reaching out and, and, and early just a second ago was so is so supported by history. You know, I keep thinking about that interview with Manuel Garcia towards the end of his life where he talks about all the stuff that he used to do as a teacher. He'd say, oh, I did this, and I did mm-hmm. that, and I did things with the breath, and I did with the resonance, and I played the better blah, blah, and I did it, blah, 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 and then I threw it all away, and I said, it's all useless. Um, but he experimented. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? He, mm-hmm. he, even in the midst of his, his discoveries about science and whatever, he still experimented throughout his teaching career. Yes. You know, he tried, he, his, attempts, his attempts to make things go faster, you know, to speed up the process. Uh, a voice training, which for mm-hmm. him as, as as a young singer was so slow, so yeah. terribly slow. Um, but that was the standard. I mean, the the slowness was the was the standard of the Italian training. Yeah, I feel like if you th- if you think about it, at least in a slow training process, you're not going to hurt the person. Uh, yeah, I think I, I was thinking about that when you were saying about how in the old uh, books and essays and treatises. 
there is never any mention of anything resembling no pain, no gain, mm-hmm. or al- ever allowing hoarseness, or ever. Or the word pressure never appears. Yeah. Or effort. Yeah. You know, in, in that sense that we know it today. Right. But, and but yeah. I think that, and since they expected it to be a slow process, mm-hmm. you know, it all goes together that way. It, it does. all goes and it, together. And it comes down to our, even the name of our podcast, which is about cultivation. Yes. And they understood that it was a cultivation project. It wasn't yeah. a production project. It was one of slow, steady, e- easy. You yeah. know, even, I don't I can't recall right off the top of my head, if it was Mancini or Tozzi, who talked about developing the top of the voice. Well, you have to do it gently mm-hmm. to avoid screaming, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which tells you a little bit that they probably worked the voice a little bit more gently until it, you know, got more body. Mm-hmm. In the sound, and then you could put more volume onto the sound, and then the sound gets fuller and more robust. But you don't start maybe there because that might make a person scream. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, keeping your options open. I mean, I have to say, I'm a teacher who always I want to know what other people are doing and then incorporate it. But again, always within that idea of what what the principles are. Yeah. yeah. What are my principles as an educator? What do I what do we stand for that will always be true no matter what? Yeah. Exercise or not. You know, right. w- what are my deeper values as an educator? Mm-hmm. And I think that is a question that would be really interesting to have with a lot of other voice teachers. What do you stand for as yeah. a voice teacher? Yeah. In regards to what singing is about. How do you, what, what's your idea? What is singing? Why is it important? Why do we do it? You're what's going its value? deep, man. Well, yeah, culture. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's important to know. I mean, it's important to know because otherwise it's sort of superficial, right? Yeah. If you, I, I don't know, my, my, um, Ooh, somebody told me one time, they said Zen, right? Learning the art of Zen. That someone said to me, you know, your Zen is your teaching. Like, because you sort of conceptualize life through your teaching, right? All the ins and outs of life are, are done through the voice. And I'm like, wow, I guess so. Because everything in the life that happens, I always try to figure, I always try to figure out, how does this relate to the voice? <laughs> how does this relate to singing? Mm-hmm. But having, you know, those principles, principles of freedom, principles of of functionally free singing mm-hmm. um that to me is the that's the standard yeah getting a st- getting a singer into knots or into tension is not what i'm about i'm not yeah. here for that i'm yeah. not here for that you know so um the letting go of self-concept right the letting go of what you think you can do and finding the right exercises for that in the moment is part of it Yes. And it, like you said, if it doesn't, uh, we've said before, if it doesn't work, stop doing it. There's no shame. Mm-hmm. There's no shame in saying after an exercise doesn't work for three times. Okay, I want to move somewhere else. The student doesn't have to know. I mean, you can tell them like you said before. Mm-hmm. But it can just be as subtle as like, oh, I just wanted to see how that was going. Okay, okay, let's go back down here. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It, it doesn't have to be, you know. Um, you don't have to point out that it was a failure. Right, yeah. not at all, not at all. <laughs> or you can just yeah. say, oh, you're, or you can just see something like, oh, your voice doesn't seem to be ready for that right now. Let's, yeah. let's go over here and let's try that, you know. Because, yeah. you know, Cornelius Reed said something really brilliant. He said, what, to confuse the muscles is to confuse the mind. Mm. Yeah. You know, and to, and to make the voice free, you, you free the mind. Yeah. Because the mind and the body are no longer in this sort of... Um, war with each other yeah the the brain demands the body can supply right Mm -hmm. the body can do it Mm -hmm. when the body can't do it and the brain is asking for it it creates this uh anxiety tension stress yes you know feeling of anger why isn't it working you know yeah um so our job as teachers i think is to work with the body 
The mind can mind a little bit, you know, but not too much because mm-hmm. it gets in the equipment. It's like most of a lot of work is like telling us <laughs> beating off a student's mind. It's like, get out of here. Stop it. I'm just trying to work with your voice. Well, you know, when I sang this scale before, I really I don't care. Let's just sing the scale. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think we have to be able to go in and out of uh, analytic mode and uh, let it fly mode and mm-hmm. and, uh, um, you know, all the ways of thinking. I mean, this, mm-hmm. you know, it, it does. I was going to say bleed over into real life, but for me, singing is real life. It is, absolutely. <laughs> it, it's all of a piece, you know. And, well, uh, singing is how I experience spirituality. It's how I experience, you know, what, uh, development, growth, self-actualization, all of yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah, Becoming more of the person, more, uh, yeah, more actualized, like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? You're becoming yeah. more self-actualized through your voice. The tool yeah. you're using is your voice. If you were going to become a great chef, you would self-actualize through sh- through cooking. Yes. If you were going to be a great uh, runner, you would self-actualize through running. So for me, it's like singing is the way that f- this particular path of self-actualization, becoming a greater than you were before. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the message for or exercise is it's okay to screw up an exercise. Yep. yep. It's, like, it's, not, it's nothing wrong with it, but... You know, uh, one of the t- titles I worked with with the subject was uh, was uh, creative ways to screw up a vocalese. Mm. And in a way, it's kind of cool to have many ways to screw up a vocalese. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's an interesting study to to uh, take an exercise and uh, play with different facets of it. Mm. And like like let's say a nine note scale um in the middle of my voice in a dotted rhythm okay so let's let's say i'm going up and down doing doing that and i may one time want to think about making the long notes quieter than the short notes or i might want to think about how fast i can sing it or i may want to think about what vowels it works with or i may want to think about singing it forte on the bottom piano on the top now piano Mm -hmm. on the bottom forte Mm -hmm. on the top Mm -hmm. and and some of those will feel good and sound good and some will fall flat mm-hmm. so i'm not saying screwing up is always a bad thing but uh we can learn from our screw-ups sure yeah. <laughs> and having having a lot of options available to you as a singer and a teacher will will help you you know pick up and move on from any screw-up right yeah also too i think the other important well, i just want to say about this is Staying in the present with the student, oh, right? Yeah, yeah. Staying in the moment with the student doing the exercise. There's often, and I'm, I'm guilty, you're, they're doing it and you're already thinking about your next thing. Yeah, yeah. Right? You're already psychologically going, what's my next thing? You, you, slow down. Mm-hmm. Slow down. Yeah. Uh, notice what's happening as it, as it is happening. Yeah. Because it's sort of like conversation. You know how, well, we do this all the time. You know how when you're talking to somebody and they're talking and then you're already thinking of the next thing that you want to say? Yes. You, you, so it's like they're they're basically a springboard to your own psychological need to talk. <laughs> yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. that that's like that happens in studios where, you know, the person's singing and then the teacher's going, oh, I'm okay, I'm going up here, you know, or I'm going over there. That's to me what mindfulness in, in teaching is, is being yeah. able to go, okay, turn off that. Okay. Okay. What's happening here right now? What's going on right now? And Gina Levetri has this really great thing that she says that I often think about, which is, you know, accepting what the student is giving you in every moment. 
Yeah. Wow. I That's love nice. that. Yes. You know, whatever's happening is real. It's a Byron Katie thing, right? It's like, this is yeah. reality. Yeah. And reality is God. And this is what's happening. And um, I think her absolute devotion to that idea is part of what makes watching her teach so mesmerizing. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 it seems magical what she does. It's very, yeah, it's very slow and it's very quiet. Yeah. It's, you've said it at the beginning. We, we started talking about her work and you said she's very Buddha-like. Yes vexingly so right where you're just kind of like okay buddha what's the mm-hmm. secret you know mm-hmm. and he's like sit under this tree for many days and you'll understand you know what i mean yeah but there is this really kind of fascinating stillness that she's able to get to as a yeah. teacher yeah right very quiet which i think is a beautiful um example yeah of of stillness and of noticing and mm-hmm. accepting a, she works beautifully to watch her work. Is, yeah, is it's, lovely. it's amazing. And um, the, the, how she puts, simply puts the singer at ease so much mm-hmm. and, and, mm-hmm. And, and it really helps the singer enter a receptive state because she's in a receptive state. Mm-hmm. You know, she's, mm-hmm. she is so acutely paying attention yes. and uh, accepting, like you said. I always felt like it's, with, with, with her, I didn't ever feel like the need to perform, which is a really nice thing. Yeah, you can get into the equipment and really figure out what's going on because it's like it's curiosity. I think that was the thing with with Jeannie that's so prevalent. It's her curiosity mm-hmm. when she's working with a student, genuinely curious, right? Doesn't doesn't sort of come in from I'm the great teacher, watch what I'm going to do, kind of thing. Yeah, but and I think all, all good teachers do that, where there's a mm-hmm. sort of like I'm watching you, I'm watching you, I'm seeing what you're doing. Let me watch yeah. you, let me watch you. And in fact, when you watch her. Uh, or if you've ever been to any of her stuff, she'll often do that while she's teaching. She'll say, now watch what they're doing, and then she'll sort of you know, ask feedback or whatever from the audience as mm-hmm. she's working, but um, in- including them in the, in the observational process, yeah. the, uh, the other teachers, you know, to notice what's going on, what's happening. I think that's a great cap for this. Is it one, yeah. of, the ways, one of the ways you can avoid screwing up exercises is by staying in the moment. Yes. That's, yes. that's vital. Yes, That's be, really be there now, wherever yeah. you are, and that with that scale, be there, because it's the only place you can be in real life. You can only be in the moment you're in. Yeah, that's, that's that's it. You cannot be in the in the future moments. You can only be where you are right now, and and looking at what's happening right now. Amen. So, yeah, stay in the moment with the student and accept what they're giving you. Accept what they're doing. You know, and I guess work to create an environment for that voice that is congenial to that voice makes that voice happy not sad go. or stressed so yes beautiful wonderful well that was fun thanks for joining us today on the voice culture podcast for more information connect with us on our website thevoiceculture.com <laughs>